You are listening to The Emulsion Podcast, a show that informs and inspires the restaurant industry to work, live, and create better. My name is Justin Kana. I'm a chef and media producer with almost 10 years of experience in award-winning restaurants all over the world. I created this show as a way to give back, to inspire the next generation, and help you progress your career. The Emulsion Podcast is sponsored by you folks, and Patreon is where that happens. If you're here as a return listener and enjoyed the episode you just came from and happen to want to support more episodes, visit patreon.com slash Justin Kana. I'd really appreciate it if you can. I totally understand if you can't. Free ways you can support this show include leaving a like or comment on this episode, filling up all five stars on iTunes so more people can find us, or simply sharing an episode with a friend. This is an interview episode. If you missed out on asking your burning question to today's guest, that's probably because you aren't following me on Instagram or Twitter. I use the handed any question feature in my Instagram stories, and I also start a thread for each guest on Twitter. So between the two of those, that's the best way to take advantage of the access I hope to bring you with this show and all of the interviews I do. Let's learn a little bit more about today's interviewee, shall we? What is up, folks? Justin Kana here. This is a very, very exciting project for me. A few weeks ago, I had this gentleman, Amit Levy, send me an email, a cold email at that. And the gist of it is that he's a computer science professor at Princeton. He did his PhD at Stanford. He's a Seattle native. He's living in New York. And through the power of the internet, he found my stuff. And so it just happened to jive with his own personal interests. And in reaching out, he was hoping to conduct a, quote, short video slash phone call, end quote, which ultimately turned into an hour and a half Google Hangout between him and I. And I said yes to the interview on the condition that I could record it and then share it with you folks. But in keeping with the like staying platform specific, I've decided to experiment with how I'm going to distribute this. So this right here is ultimately episode 77 of the Emulsion podcast. It's up now. You can download the entire thing right now and listen wherever podcasts are available, even Spotify, just so you know, for everyone that's not caught up on that, the Emulsion podcast is on Spotify. Shout out to you if you're listening to this as a podcast episode, but I've edited this interview into seven individual videos, and this is the first of those videos, ultimately making a week's worth of uploads. Everything is scheduled to upload at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time every single day, starting today. So you can essentially look forward to daily uploads from this channel. And this will make its way into a playlist at the end of the whole thing. So if you've stumbled upon this video more than seven days after today, you can binge the entire thing. And that will be available through a link in the description or as an end card at the end of this video, depending on what your preference is. All right, that's my intro on this little content experiment. I do apologize for a few bits and bobs throughout the interview. Google Hangouts cut me out uh, audio-wise and video-wise a couple times. So I did my best to edit it in a way that makes sense, but I, I think that the context clues uh, speak for themselves. They don't leave anything that left out. Also, if you want to get in touch with Amit, his stuff is linked up down below or in the show notes. So enjoy. You know, my partner and I uh, were kind of living the New York lifestyle as young professionals, uh, eating out a lot, um, a lot of trash. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, our go-to for years was uh, this taco place across the street from us, which like shout out to Dorado Tacos, but uh, but not necessarily the most sort of definitely not the most um, healthy to eat every day, and then also not the most kind of varied or cost efficient or satisfying to just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, have. And um, uh, and we both love cooking, uh, and we both like kind of love uh, the creativity and satisfaction from sort of making making food for ourselves and eating it. Um, but there is just this sort of push and pull of like, you, you know, you never really, um, you never really find the time to like dig into three hours of, of, of kind of making something, um, definitely not every day. 
Um, and so the push this summer for me has been kind of figuring out how to, um, how to, uh, you know, cook for the week basically. Sure. And, um, what was kind of a bummer at first. So like, you know, the first thing I did is I like asked my mom what she did, um, cause she, she cooked growing up and my parents were both sort of, they both worked. So it was a similar sort of dynamic. Um, and the answer there was, you know, she had like six dishes that she made for 30 years. Right. Uh, and she took a whole Sunday, like six or seven hours or something and just did that. Uh, and that is not going to work for me. Totally. <laughs> not, not right now. You need some more variety. Exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, so being an engineer, uh, what I ended up doing is not, uh, not practicing the recipe as much as I can, as much as like thinking about kind of this problem in general and, uh, and, and, uh, and really trying to learn more about how, uh, professionals cook. I mean, you know, if you're doing, um, a seating for uh, for thirty people, you know, you you might spend the whole day doing it, but like that's a lot of food. Sure, sure. Uh, and so, and you talk a lot about systems, mm-hmm. um, so that's something that I want to take in with you. But that's kind of that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, and so for the, for me, the kind of the high level project is I, I'm 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 kind of interested in figuring out, you know, how to think about this uh, from a systems perspective Mm -hmm. uh that also happens to be kind of my field of research in computer sciences systems totally um and uh and uh yeah i can i can kind of dig into into more into the details but like for me it turns out that i think that there's like a real correspondence between um you know how we think of uh of kind of executing a bunch of different kind of workloads on a computer and how we think of how we might think of sort of executing a bunch of different dishes or recipes or whatever on, you know, this system that is our kitchen correct, um, and ourselves and, and, and so forth. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, uh, that's kind of the, the broad perspective that I'm coming from. And I have like, you know, my directions that I'm going in, but that's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty uninformed still. Can I ask one more question before we get into Absolutely. your questions? How did yeah, you find my stuff? Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a nerd. So whenever I get into something, I like get into it. Uh, and, um, you know, we've had this Vitronox knife for like four years or something, uh, which is, is fine. Um, but not, uh, not like the most, um, kind of fun thing to, uh, to fun tool to do. So I was like looking through, not looking through like, you know, what knives should I buy? I think I found one of your, um, one of your knife review videos. Sure. And then I just like, you know, I just went on like a, on like a binge. Yeah. Like a yep. 40 minute binge of like, and then I, I really got, I think I really got drawn in uh, again because of, it was like one of the first times I've seen um, a chef sort of share stuff about cooking that wasn't like, here's knife skills and like, here's how you Julian, uh, which is great too. I mean, I've learned a lot from, uh, from that, you know, I learned how to cook an egg from Gordon Ramsay or whatever. Totally. Uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, but you sort of give more of um, what I think of as sort of a behind the scenes of, of how, uh, well, what you talk about, sort of all the, the sort of systems and execution behind just mm-hmm. the specific skills, um, which to me was really uh, fascinating. Well, because the, the ultimate goal, and I think the pinnacle of it would be if the whole thing runs like a machine, but the reality of it is that you have human beings doing all of these jobs. So you have to like find that balance between what does a human being need to work, even though at a very basic level in a perfect world, it would all work like a well-oiled machine. And it, so much of what I'm going to share with you today is about like 
the assembly line mentality with a restaurant and how a lot of the times it doesn't really translate very well to the home cook environment. So mm. I don't know. You sent me a couple of questions prior. Is there a place you want to start or like one that you're most curious about or? Um, I have a bunch. We can we can play this either way. I'm either happy for you to for you to lead it with mm -hmm. kind of the questions that I sent. And then I, I padded those with others. But that's it's mostly um, it, it's, it's all along the same line. So I sure. can. Uh, sure. Whichever you prefer. If you have like, if you have a bunch just, that you want to say. Well, I took a couple of notes, but just, I mean, with number one, is there any other details you wanted to? So you asked what would be the main difference between prepping and cooking for a 30 person seating and then cooking 30 meals for a week. Basically, is there a lot of knowledge transfer between restaurant cooking and meal prep cooking? So for me, the, the first piece of notes that I wrote down was assembly line versus one time execution, right? If you're prepping for a 30 person seating yes it it has some differences but if you're working for like a restaurant and you have a full service that's a very different um execution because you're thinking about from 5 p.m until 10 p.m i'm going to be have to, i'm going to have to pick up this dish from start to finish so the way that you organize yourself is going to be different than um if you're doing a big 30 person seating where all the food is going to be like prepared and then served, you're doing something very similar where like you're preparing it all and then you're planning on staggering the eventual preparation for it. Mm -hmm. So, um, little, little things like, um, if you're going to be doing, uh, chicken legs, like chicken thighs, it's very easy to, instead of, like sear and then braise and then warm up in the microwave, you could take like a whole big pan or a pot, put all the chicken legs in there with whatever aromatics you want, braise it. And then as you are ready to serve it, you could get color on each individual chicken leg. That's something I did for a party the other day. Um, and that's like principles from sous vide that kind of carry over where they do the reverse sear or whatever they call it, where it's like you pull it out of the water bath and it's this gray piece of meat that looks kind of gross. But then once you get some color on it and show it some love with like some butter or some aromatics, then it's essentially a perfectly cooked piece of protein with color on it. Um, so that would be my first, first kind of hack. And restaurants are notoriously good at doing the assembly line process where each station is responsible for a different element and it all has to come together at the same time. I don't think you need to stress a lot about worrying about those individual nuances because you're not, it's, 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 it's irrelevant details for you. Um, so thinking about, um, yeah, well, keep going. So, so one thing, I, one thing I am hearing about that though is, uh, which I think is, sounds really interesting is how, um, uh, in the example you gave kind of the, the uh, the way that you're planning on sort of uh, serving out the, the meals and like the and, and, and sort of um, how you need to execute on it sort of feeds back into how you think about like how I should prepare this. So Correct. In some sense, like the, the, the recipes or whatever are sort of informed by mm -hmm. not just this is like the perfect way to cook a chicken, but like this is uh, this is a way that's going to allow me to execute on this efficiently. Totally. And I mean, even some of those problems that you brought up in the beginning about like cost, like some of the tastiest dishes in the world are based on these peasant ideologies with cheap cuts of meat and, and you know, what have you. So would I advise you to mass prep chicken breast? 
Probably not because chicken breast is best served like juicy and in the moment and not really, it doesn't really reheat very well. Um, but you know, doing duck legs and chicken legs and, and, uh, like brisket, like beef brisket and pork belly, that all is amazing when you slow cook it for a while, you cool down the entire batch in a way that's safe and then reheat. It makes so much more sense. You're going to save money and it's probably going to be tastier because you know if you're if if you are ready and willing to put in the time for you and your partner to get everything like ready to go um yeah that reheating process is going to be great another tip that i wanted to share with you um is this restaurant idea that i picked up a long time ago called uh, making kits like a kit um and that comes from the idea of so my girlfriend and i do it with overnight oats uh, she likes overnight oats sometimes for breakfast. Um, and so instead of every, you know, four nights a week, getting all my little deli containers, uh, well, getting a deli container out, scooping the oatmeal in, scooping protein powder and chia seeds and a little bit of salt in, in, in one container, I'll line up, you know, 10 and then do oats, 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 oats. And that's more of like an assembly line restaurant restaurant thing that actually works. And I mean, I would do it in in my restaurant jobs with like tempura batter or when you're making bread, you like you do all the dry ingredients together and you you like label it in your cupboard that it says bread kit or something like that. And then I mean, it's how Betty Crocker <laughs> that's the business model, right, is like yeah. measure out all the dry ingredients so that they're ready to go. Um and I mean, you can do that if you if you if you and your partner decide that like we really like rice that has dehydrated lime uh, lemon zest and cracked green peppercorn in it. You know what I mean? You can make individual kits that are ready to go uh, that have all these dry ingredients in them, and then it says needs one and a half cups of water on it. You know what I mean? And then you know when you have that chicken that you just seared. You have your kit ready to go, and you know that's like two portions plus a little bit of leftovers for lunch tomorrow, um, because you seem like the kind of guy that would want to prep like that. And but yeah, I don't think you like. It's very important to cherry pick those restaurant uh, tips because it's very easy for you to get overwhelmed with like, uh, I need to completely re replicate a restaurant's process. But I mean, I think your head's in the right place where I don't think you're going to do that. But it, it would I, I can see where it would be easy to get in that trap of I need to prep everything and then cool everything down and then like tray everything up and then bring it all together at one time and kind of plate it. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't always work the best <laughs> with with home cooking because you're going to end up with way more dishes than you want and you're going to spend way too much time doing these irrelevant um, tasks, I guess. And I why did I write that down? I wrote down home cook versus line cook. A line cook is a cog in a machine. They are put there for a very specific reason to do a very specific set of tasks that overall elevate the menu and make it possible for the menu to exist. Um, with a home cook, you're responsible for everything unless you two are cooking together, um, which in any case, I mean, I don't know if you... Do you guys divvy up the work at all or do you, do you prefer cooking meat or she likes cutting vegetables like what i mean not if you've been to a new york kitchen like mm -hmm. there's no room for two people <laughs> yeah exactly exactly that's also the huge problem yeah um 
I, I kind of wonder if, because um, you've, you've sort of uh, sort of spanned the spectrum from these these kind of big staffed, uh, like, you know, these, these big staff sort of Michelin starred restaurants to the sort of two person pop up, which has, you know, all kind of all the constraints, like you don't necessarily have the, the ideal kitchen that you've set up for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have the people. It's like, it's kind of a, um, like the, usually I imagine probably kind of you're doing a menu once and that's it. Totally. And I wonder how you've uh, either uh, translated or discarded or come up with new uh, sort of systems to sort of match either scenario. Mm-hmm. Now it, the first question I'll, I'll always ask before I ask about like, well, it's in that first list of questions I ask is, is what is the setup that I have? Like, do I have an oven? Do I have, um, a freezer. I mean, I think I tell the story in one of the videos about how like we planned to do an ice cream dish and there was no fucking freezer at that restaurant. And it was like, how do, how do we do that? How do we navigate that? And, um, almost now always, I have it down now. I didn't have it down when I first started this whole thing. I was very much so in the mentality of like, whatever we, the dish comes first and then we kind of like, force it into the the venue or the kitchen or, or or whatever resources we have now it's very much so on the opposite end of the spectrum i see what equipment and what resources i have and then that dictates the menu um so i guess some takeaways from that is if you're working in a small environment um how can you use like height to your advantage if you don't have like width yeah. Um, so there's like some really nice um, plastic Cambro containers you can get that are like super tall. They're like 22 quart Cambros that are really tall and you can clip a circulator on the side of it um, and you can do a shit ton of food in that in that container, in that vessel, uh, as opposed to doing like a giant Lexan that's super wide um, and that that might be a little hack you can use to to save yourself some space, so you can continue to cook while half of your kitchen isn't taken up by by Alexan. Right. But um, I mean, the other thing that, and this is kind of might not help you very much, but it's something that I've certainly taken into account is that if there's not a ton of heating elements, I've gotten really good at working with dishes that I would really struggle at the beginning of boxing myself into like hot dish followed by hot dish followed by hot dish and a lot of it was like i would i would put a dish on a menu that was like had a had a like the main element of it was fried like it was like a tempura thing or a croquette or something and i did not have the resources available to push out really beautifully fried crispy food and it it backfired and it was like, so I got, what I got really good was, um, there's a f- term in the restaurant world called T ed, which basically means uh, room temperature. And it's like uh, tons of amazing cuisines around the world, like, uh, Chinese food and, and Ital- like Mediterranean diets do a lot of like grilled and then marinated vegetables that don't have to be hot that are served beautifully room temperature in like some sort of acidic something. Um, with some olive oil or some fresh herbs and whatever it's delicious and that way you know like if you guys really want to do something that's like a beautiful kimchi rice bowl something you can make that vegetable garnish and less thing that you have to worry about coming out hot i think that's a, a thing that has been a really powerful takeaway for me 
is like every single thing that I see that's room temperature and that can ideally sit for a couple of minutes is like such a time saver because it's another thing that you can offer without, I mean, you can literally only be doing one thing at a, not one thing at a time, but you can be only be in one place at a time. Right. Um, so yeah, start to think about that a little bit. Like how can you work in room temperature things into your, you know, so ideally for dinner for you two, only one thing is hot. What does that look like? Right. right. Got it. Um, yeah, one thing you talked about once was uh, was how before you had put in I forget the I can't pronounce the name of the mm -hmm. restaurant in Norway, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, but before you had put in the system where you were sort of hanging clipboards above every station for the for the produce list, that uh, basically shit would get lost. Uh, like totally, to yell at the thing, you wouldn't necessarily transcribe it right or whatever. Um, and so I'm wondering, in kind of in general. When when those things kind of happen, you like you know you show up to the day of when you're uh, when you're cooking, and you just don't have something that you need. Um, how do you deal with that? Sometimes, so some it, it it can go one of two ways. You can either completely like if it's completely necessary, and the dish would not be the same without it. It ne there needs to be something where like someone needs to go find it. Um, and that's very important to have people that are available to, to take care of that. It's also one of those things where um, I've gotten really good at figuring out what works as backup plans as certain things. And I mean, there's no, that, that just comes with experience. I can't teach anybody that you need to, you need to decide that for yourself of what, you know, if we don't have this wine, or we don't have this, you know, if, if, if someone, if the chives didn't come, um, what's the alternative? That system that I created was more or less an accountability thing where you had, you, 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 you try to create as many fail safes as possible. And those fail safes ideally lessen the amount of, oh, I forgot, or, oh, I wrote it down here and I just didn't prioritize putting it on the, you know what I mean? So, and this is, this is very, very much so back to the systems. When I'm creating systems, I try to make sure that, um, the, it, if the thing is not bulletproof, there is something else that makes that supplements it. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, so when we will do menus, the menu is always posted in Google Drive, and then it's also posted in Trello. That's itemized, um, and we're going to get more into itemized stuff later. But I, 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 going back to that produce list thing, it would be so frustrating when I would hear, oh, I wrote it down on my prep list. I just forgot to tell you. So what I would identify with is, oh, the communication part is the part. So that, that's very important is figuring out, like, not – it's not that you wrote it down and forgot to tell me it's that the communication from you to like distilling it down to what is the actual problem. The right. actual problem was the communication of you because you communicated it to your list. It didn't get communicated to me. That was the problem. Right. And so by, you know, you can write it down on your list. You can write it down on your arm. You can get it tattooed on your leg. I don't care. <laughs> but if it's not on the clipboard, it's not going to get ordered. Right. You know what I mean? So that is a very clear, um, I loved I love that tidbit because it was I think that that 
for me at least resonates really strongly. I think this is something that happens to us internally as well. Yep. I mean, this thing happened to me yesterday. I was like, uh, um, you know, between like going to my recipe, which was like, you know, uh, set up to do like four servings or so and sort of multiplying that up to eight and then transferring it to my grocery list, like somewhere along the way, mm-hmm. it, like I lost a zucchini. Correct. Correct. Uh, and, you know, and so I end up, you know, two hours later with like a grocery bag with like the, the, the wrong amounts of whatever in it. Yeah. Totally. And like it was, it was freaking written down somewhere, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just, it didn't get to the right place. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know, like the, the solution to that is, I mean, maybe the solution is, uh, and I would have this with some things I would do is like what, wherever that pivotal moment is, wherever that turn happens in the process maybe you have a thing at the end of your prep list that says cross-reference original recipe right it's like if you know that every single time before you leave the grocery store or before you start the checkout process you cross-reference that original recipe and that saves you then that that's the system that needs to be put in place but you need to because sometimes you could you could you know have have it be a voice skill that you program into your alexa where you're talking to her about your shopping list and again it goes back to like identifying where that problem happens and how to uh, arrange the system so that those key what do they call it kpis key key performance indicators don't you know they they all match up yeah Um, yeah to me this is the kind of thing where where like this is sort of prime for uh, why I love you talking about systems so much. Mm-hmm. Like it's prime for kind of automation. It's like exactly the kind of thing that uh, that, that people are like bound to screw up some way or another. Mm-hmm. And it's also, uh, I mean, I, I haven't talked to, I haven't, you're the first professional I talked to about this, but I, so I could be wrong about this. So I imagine it's not the kind of thing that people like really enjoy doing. This is not like Correct. The thing that people get into uh, mm-hmm. looking for. It's not like remembering that like you know if i have one zucchini for a four thing you know what i mean sure sure and Um, i I think another thing that i want to touch on with that is that um tim ferris says something along the lines of like the good system that you stick with is better than the perfect system that you don't um and building in like as long as you anticipate that these things are going to happen like bad things like Sometimes you're going to forget something and sometimes you're going to make a mistake. That's okay. And, you know, being able to take those in stride and just continue to keep going rather, I mean, like you could have a perfect system, but if you forget that zucchini and now you're like, well, now I can't make dinner, you know, that is like so crippling. And then, then it doesn't matter that, you know, um, that, that you, that you have a great system because ultimately you didn't make dinner because, there was a flaw in your thing. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's just really important not to judge yourself based on, you know, if, if, if something went wrong or, or something, uh, there was, if there was a hiccup, it's, it's, it's the worst thing you can do because I don't know, there's another interview I was listening to the other day where it's like, if you go into it, anticipate it, like the only thing you, you anticipate is that problems are going to happen. You're going to be unfazed because, because right. then it's going to come and you're going to be like, Oh, cool. I was expecting this to happen. As opposed to like, I have this perfect system and it's going to be amazing. And it's like, I have it all laid out and whatever. So question number two was, how do you think about prepping and cooking a menu with a lot of elements efficiently? Do I collapse common task? Is there a lot of concurrency or a lot of waste? Um, so I grew up in a lot of these restaurants with the philosophy that 
ingredients don't repeat on the menu. The French Laundry, per se's menu changed every single day. Uh, Grace was the same way. It's like we had a vegetable menu and a omnivore menu with meat and, and vegetables, and no ingredients were repeated at all. Um, I mean, obviously, like some things like garlic and onion and black pepper get repeated yeah. a couple times, but um, for the most part, you're not going to have a uh, black pepper and potato croquette followed by a dish that has black pepper yogurt. Um, so that definitely lent itself to it, it. One of two things happens, right? You either have a dish where, you know, you're using an endive and you use only the sweet center or the you take out the stem and you're only using the tender leaves um and then there's a lot of waste or it goes the other way with a lot of chefs where it's like well we're using carrots so we're going to use the carrots uh that are this size for pieces on the plate and the ones that are too big we're going to juice and make into a puree and then we're going to take the tops and dry them and make them into chips um and I've spent a lot of time in those restaurants where that happens and it can be good or bad, right? Like just because you can use the tops from the carrots, doesn't mean you should use them. Um, a lot of like so many people would argue yes, because it's, it's useless waste if it's edible and, and it's not, but with a lot of these restaurants that are so operating on subject conceptual and high level and trying to tell a story, if you're trying to share this, if the story is the tenderness and the, the earthiness of this carrot, the top doesn't really add anything to that because it doesn't have, the top doesn't have the sweetness that the bottom of the carrot does. So what's the point of serving that just because you can, and then you have a beet dish after it where you cut off the tops of the beets and you threw them away. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it doesn't match. Um, so that's just something that has been on my mind a little bit re recently, but, um, yeah, no repeating ingredients lends itself to a lot of waste sometimes. And, I mean, we would joke about it all this time that we would have mise en place salad, which was essentially like all the trim from all of our projects thrown into a salad dressed in a, in a certain way. Um, and it was all the vegetable trim, basically, and that's what we would eat as, as, as staff meal. Right. Um, so there is a lot of waste sometimes, unfortunately, but... So collapsing common tasks, um, the number one question that I got from working in Norway, my chef would always come whenever he would, he, he got to a point where he wasn't really in the kitchen that much anymore, but when he would come into the kitchen, the only thing I would see him ask people is like, how are you doing? And what do you have left for big projects? What do you have left for big projects? What do you have left for big projects? I got it so ingrained into me that I became, I started asking the same question to the line cooks when I, when I would go around and ask everybody because it's so important, right? Where, you know, you have, you know, I'll use that like kimchi rice bowl dish that, you know, you two might make as an example, right? <clears throat> Where it's like, if you have your kimchi ready to go and your rice is you know you're about to you're about to make your rice and you're going to spice and that's what you're going to use um and if as you're cutting those carrots the only thing you can think about in your head is the chicken's not started yet that needs to be the next project you do like if 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 to you in your mind it's a big project like you need to start with that um and then that goes into like the prep list video that I made where um you 
when you start something, when you start a day or a menu or or a dinner prep project, I guess I've, it's evolved for me to to call it multitasking through automation, where you know if 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 a chicken stock is on your list of things to do, and the process for that chicken stock is roast bones, and that process takes forty five minutes. I'm trying to like think of a visual representation to it where there's like a timeline and each like I think about like my calendar in my computer has like these blocks and they're all color coded and like sometimes there's an overlap, sometimes there's a gap. Um, you need to think about how you can get those big projects started where it's like I could do 45 minutes worth of knife cuts and then I can do 45 minutes worth of watching those chicken bones roast. Or I could spend five minutes, put those chicken bones in the oven, and over those 45 minutes, get all these knife cuts projects done. And yeah. it seems so, like, duh to say it. No, but it's so hard. Yeah, but when you're, like, when you're starting off, it's like, so the question that I started to pose for myself, and this is after I read uh, one of Tim Ferriss's books, it was, what can I automate? And that was a really big, like, click for me, Where whereas prior to that multitasking was like the goal which isn't always effective because it's like you can be doing a couple things at the same time but you're like moving a millimeter in six different directions as opposed to like taking large steps in certain directions so can you you know if you know that you have to boil that beet and then peel it and then it's going to need to spend six hours in the dehydrator you can't do that 45 minutes before the service starts. Like that just has to be a priority. Um, And for, for, for the home cook, maybe that turns into, you know, preheating the oven. Well, the question you asked was when you create a menu, do you think of recipes in terms of high level chunks of work or a series of independent small steps? And the example you used was like, we need to roast potatoes as opposed to the small steps being preheat oven, lay out potatoes, like seasoned potatoes, cooked potatoes. I absolutely do small steps because it creates momentum, the feeling of like you're crossing things off of the list over and over and over again, um, which feels like progress, even though maybe sometimes it's not, but it also, um, it's very easy for, um, you can't make things, it, um, it's like a Russian nesting doll, right? Like if you have a nesting doll, like if you make everything the same size, it's very easy to see like, oh, this isn't so bad. But mm-hmm. if you like pop open every single nesting doll and there's all these different steps that go into it and then you look at a table of individually sized nesting dolls, it's like, whoa, this is a lot of stuff. Um, and sometimes there's projects where it's like uh, dehydrate uh, tarragon for tarragon powder or something like that. And the only thing you need to do today because it's for tomorrow is to dehydrate the tarragon. You pop open that nesting doll and there's nothing inside because it's like, that was a quick, easy project. But then it's like roasting potatoes. Saying roast potatoes, like sometimes also you're going you're gonna to get to a point where you don't have to write the word seasoned potatoes on your prep list anymore because it's automatically linked to when I lay out the potatoes, I sprinkle salt and oregano on them. You know what I mean? Um, but in the beginning, you absolutely have to do that because – again, going back to the systems, it's like sometimes, you know, chef will tell you, you know, in the, in the lamb sauce today, I really want to put star anise in the, in the, in the lamb stock. Um, and 
whether it's it's your first time doing it or you've done it a million times, you're not, it's not going to click with you the first time you start. Right. And um, oh, that's that's what the next the next question. But um, <laughs> I keep wanting to bring these things up. But uh, yeah, abs- absolutely um, break them up into small steps because it's a system that prevents things from getting forgotten about. And it also makes it so that you really have a bird's eye view of these are all the things that are left to do. Um, and some of the only times when I, I can recall myself not executing were times when I um, was, was too, was not organized enough to see this is a lot, this is a lot of stuff. And, and I, you know, just wrote down butcher fish on my prep list when in reality it's 20 kilos of cod and I have to (laughs) break it down off the bone and then I have to skin it and then I have to salt it and then I have to rinse that salt off of it. And then I, if you just write this small little thing and treat it as a little small thing, it's not going to be like that. Um, but that's that. So that's, that's my prep list philosophy. and, And that's how I find myself able to be insanely effective and productive in prep is that, you know, the first two to four hours of like an eight hour workday, you're constantly doing between three and five things. Mm-hmm. Um, and At the same, kind of concurrently, concurrently. And yeah. what ends up happening is that somebody asked me that in a comment the other day, they're like, if you did this and this and this, you could have nine things happening at the same time. And I'm like, it maxes out right? Like it gets to a point where it plateaus and it's like, just by starting more things, it becomes your, your beets are now getting overcooked because you're frying potato chips, uh, and your chicken is, you know, like you can only have a certain, I've found three to five things happening at a time. Mm -hmm. And that just comes from seeing, again, seeing all of those individual little steps and being able to prioritize like this needs to get done first. This needs to come next. This needs to come next. Um, and it, it, I've I honestly found that it's not a realistic list if after two to four hours of doing three to five multitasking projects, you're still in the shits. Uh-huh. If, if, if it's more than that, like you have too much on your plate. Like that's just how it is. Um, getting to that point, that is what takes time. But. Mm-hmm. I've personally found that like once you get there, it's, 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 it's a real unlock. And, and if you can have a room of between, you know, two to 10 people doing that, I, I, I struggle to think that there would be a restaurant that could not function um, at a very high level with that, with that amount. And again, I mean, that's why, you know, places like 108 and Noma can do these intricate plate ups because, I mean, it's just, you're just adding busy work at that point. You know, there's, I don't know. So I hope that answered the question. It does. Yeah. I have, I have kind of a follow-up. So, um, so there are kind of two, a lot of what you said resonated mm-hmm. with me. Um, actually, particularly, like, I think about recipes that you'll find, like, in a cookbook or online or something. It'll often be kind of a list of things and, like, and then, oh, by the way, add this sauce. That's Correct. a different recipe. It takes two yep. hours to make. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but, uh, but they're kind of. Two, two pieces that were sort of uh, uh, cognitively a little bit in tension here. I'm wondering how you deal with it, or, m- or maybe this is kind of the wrong uh, concern. So on the one hand, kind of thinking of, you were saying visually, the way that you look at your calendar is sort of slotting in sort of different color-coded things. Mm-hmm. 
So in some sense, kind of, yeah, like switching to something else when like you have to wait for something, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and on the other hand, thinking in terms of very specific uh, sort of fine-grained tasks. And, and I wonder if, uh, um, so obviously like things sort of depend on each other, right? You can't necessarily, whatever, like roast the potatoes before you've seasoned them, stuff, stuff, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, are those kind of dependencies something that you just sort of have in your head because of course you have experience and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and you've done these, these elements before? Um, or is that something that you think about explicitly in terms of how to order things and like when can I swap things out versus why sure. do I really need to deal with like this thing right now? Okay, so if I if I give you like a big list of uh, a, like a huge prep list uh, of all the sort of specific tasks that need to be done mm -hmm. in um, uh, without any sort of ordering, um, then uh, uh, somehow you're gonna have to figure out like which things. Uh, which things need to be done in what sort of order. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and also like maybe which things kind of need to be done close together. Sure. Uh, because uh, whatever, like the, the thing can't just like be sitting there on the counter for two right. hours going right. down while I'm like cutting mm -hmm. onions or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so are those kind of dependencies between the tasks? Uh, uh, I understand. Yeah. I understand. So um, what I will do is like, I'll go through the, so if I have a big list, um, I wonder if I actually have a list that I can bring up. Maybe not. That's fine. Um, so I will go through a list, right? So if 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 roast beets is on a prep list, uh, and going back to that other thing, like roasting veal bones for for sauce is also on that list. Um, by so if I'm looking through the list and I see roast beets, pick cilantro potato puree, uh, butcher fish, and then all of a sudden I see veal bones again, beets is already something that I've said, okay, that's going to take like two to three hours to roast. Pop it up on the, like, that's a number one priority because it's something that can work in the background while I'm doing something else. It's going to take a lot of time. I see like, oh, veal, veal bones, that's also going to take a lot of time. But the cost to include that with the beets is like an extra five minutes of pulling out that tray and popping it into the oven. So wedge it in with something else. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I could wait until the oven's free and then put the veal bones in by themselves. But if the beets have to roast at 375 and the veal has to roast at 450, can I put them both in the oven at the same time at 450 when the veal bones are done i can cool the oven down probably like the beets are probably going to be okay at 450 wrapped in foil they're they're just going to get hot um they're not going to completely turn to a crisp um very very uh important and then when i'm thinking about um that next project that's when i start to think so the veal bones and the uh beets are in the oven and then i have like uh red wine vinegar gastrique and um making brown butter are all like stovetop projects I need you know um, so what I can do then is at the start of my day if, then this is like if I'm a line cook I can go into the dish area take all the trays that I need for the beets and the veal stack the pots on top of that for brown butter cilantro and whatever that last one I said what uh, the red wine gastrique 
that all goes on a tray and that comes to my station and I say, this is all I'm going to be working on for the first hour of my day. Mm-hmm. If I have a couple of minutes, maybe I have some radishes on my cutting board that I need to clean a little bit. Right. Um, but that's all I stress myself out with because if that's going and then like those two projects are going in the oven and I have my three that I'm working on on the stove because brown butter kind of needs your undivided attention. The red wine gastrique can reduce without you really needing anything. And then the blanching project is kind of like you have to kind of be involved with that. So again, I mean, that maxes us out at five. Like that's pretty much what I know is like the max I can do at a time. Um, If I was thinking about, you know, like butchering fish on my board at the same time, there's a chance that like there's sunk cost thing too, right? Right. Like if you go downstairs, grab the butter, bring it upstairs, grab the pot, um, and because you were trying to do too many things at once, you burned your brown butter. That's negative now. Like now you're in the red, right? right? Because now your fish is sitting out longer than it should. You have to go downstairs, grab more butter. Um, I mean, this is all very like line cook advice, but um, it is very, very much so. Um, no, it very yeah, it's yeah. it's very much so. Like you need to be realistic about what is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because you shouldn't be redlining all day long, right? Yeah. You should not, you should absolutely not be like, have the audacity to think that you can push as hard as you possibly can for 10 hours a day. Cause that's not the point, right? Um, I mean, especially if you're home cooking, if you're right. line cooking, some people are all about that. And you know, they have six Red Bulls in their low boy fridge and that's fine. But there's a way to do it where you're being incredibly effective. Um, there's this guy that I worked with, and he was a sous chef with me in Norway. And I distinctly remember when, so when I started, neither of us were sous chefs. We were both on the line together. And I just remember he was on the meat station. And I would, every single time I looked over at him when I started, he would just be chilling there looking at his prep list with a pen in his hand. He would just be standing there looking at his prep list. And then when he became a sous chef, it was the same thing. And I got so confused. I was like, why aren't you prepping harder? You know, like, why aren't you working more? And I came to the realization that like he would check in with his prep list 15 times during a four hour prep session. And that was the reason why like he could take that time out of the prepping part and save it in prep by just being more effective on like, Mm -hmm. what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? What am I like, where am I at? Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if you two write a list for yourselves and put it on your fridge or if you tape it up to the wall or if you put it on your phone or, or, or whatever you guys do, but constantly revisiting that. And again, back to like breaking it down into these individual small steps, being able to like check it off. Mm -hmm. um, That will also give you a grip of like constantly checking in with the list. That's the biggest system that you have essentially. Um, And by cross-referencing with that constantly, you get to a point where, there's no surprises. There's no surprises anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And so I'm hearing also the, um, going back a little bit, I'm hearing that there's kind of a little bit of like a duality of how you think about your prep list. It's both in terms of sort of the nitty gritty small steps. And then at the same time, you also have sort of a high level, like macro view. Correct. Because like Russian doll thing. And yeah. 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 So you well, know all the things that you need to get done, but you also know how you can sort of 
Uh, fit these different swap right and you also get that emotional element that i talked about like what are you afraid of like where what are those big projects where it's like if you're constantly checking in with your list and there's just this glaring thing that's staring you in the face um you need to do that next right like that and i talk about it in that in the video that i made but that's so important and i think it's so it's it's an uncomfortable conversation to have with yourself when your list and to I mean, it's gonna, it has to get done. So why not just take care of it now when you you have the, the bandwidth in your brain to do it? Um, so the last question you asked was, what's the process from seeing or learning a recipe from another chef and making it my own and incorporating it into a menu? How and where do I write it down or do I just remember it? So this there's a point where you know Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule kind of kicks into effect where it's like your you eventually get to a point where the recipes aren't as important as the principles mm-hmm. um, that being said I still find even to this day that the first time that I'm making a recipe always takes twice as long as mm-hmm. I think as as I th- as it will after I do it you know three or four or five or six times I mean, even the first time I made brown butter, it takes twice as long as it will eventually. So when you think about that, if you think, you know, the first time I made this coconut braised chicken recipe, it took me 108 minutes, right? You can reasonably expect that the second or third, like, some I, in a perfect world, ideally on the second time that you make it, but that's after I think you get to a certain point in your right. in your cooking skill. But yeah. you can reasonably expect that it's going to take about fifty four minutes, exactly half, once you get good at it. Yeah. Um, and that that is proven true so many times for me that it's just it, it you can't you can't I mean if and that that's very important because. If someone is talking to you and t- giving you instructions of, you know, you need to clean the crab or you need to um, pickle these onions or you need to whatever, and they say it's going to take you about 15 minutes, you need to reasonably expect it's going to take you 30 minutes the first time you do it. And it might sound completely ridiculous, but if you've never used that vinegar before, you need to go downstairs and look for it and not find it and go ask someone, hey, do you know where this vinegar is? And then they need to come show. Like, that's all part of that process. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, for you, it might be like, you know, you need to find, you're doing this this Indian recipe and you need to find asphotida and where that is and how to source that and where, you know. So all of those little nuances work their way into the first time you do something. It always takes twice as long. Totally. Um, so that's more or less how I think about like the time part. There's a great quote from a Noma documentary or a Rene Redzepi video or something like that where he talks about the reason that he created the Nordic Food Lab and why he was so such a big proponent in research is every single time that they find a menu is like a sentence or like a paragraph or like a novel. And the techniques and the ingredients and all the stuff that you have to work with are the letters that you have available to write this story. And so by learning new recipes and new techniques and new ways to do things, you're effectively 
learning new letters to your alphabet. And, you know, if you can enunciate your words and letters in certain ways, that lends itself to something else. But that's the closest thing that I've thought to myself as far as, like, what what's the point in learning new techniques and new recipes? And what's the value that comes from this experience? So that's what I'm more or less trying to think of is, um, you know, you could learn... Um, you see it in Noma's recipes in Noma's menu sometimes, but I'm trying to think of like, um, you can get, you can learn how to, um, speak a certain language or, or, or get a new, a new, you can get a new word. Let's think about it like that. So you can get a new word that you really, really like, and you think it's really cool the way that that guy used it. But when you go to the bar with your friends next weekend and you use that word in a joke that's been in your head, that's when it truly like becomes, I would totally. argue, your own. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we're to a point now where it's not happening the way that it used to be with people being able to claim certain ideas or techniques or whatever. Because, I mean, you could argue it's been happening forever that nothing is really new, but even now it's it is so it is so hard to create something that's truly new truly revolutionary but um when i see something and i want to try it um sometimes like if you're getting frustrated with that sometimes it's smart to just stop consuming like stop stop consuming other people's stuff stop reading cookbooks and just go to the market and take a bite out of something raw and be like, what do I want to eat this with? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, as opposed to constantly scrolling through Instagram and seeing, I mean, I tried it for a little while. I tried writing menus, like searching, you know, if I want to use tomato, I search the hashtag tomato, scroll through all the dishes, see what speaks to me. It doesn't inspire me as much as m now for my tasting menus. I'm very much so focused on, how can it create this whole cohesive thing as opposed to like just a marat, like a list of dishes that I'm excited about. Um, I write it down in, I use like the Apple notes app, super simple. I used yeah. to have paper notebooks, nothing crazy, but like I was, what was I doing the other day? I was eating a, my girlfriend brought home like a ice cream, like drumstick you know, like the waffle cone covered in nuts thing. And I started to think about how can I create a dish where the last bite is intentionally the best bite? And how does, what is like, what does that look like? Like, how do I plate it in a way that you eat, locute it? There's no other way to get around it, but that last bite that you eat is complete, like different, but it still ties in and it's just crazy delicious. I, I haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to do it yet, but I wrote that down in my Apple Notes app in a thing. I, wrote, I have a note called Inspiration Station, and I just jot things down in there as I'm going around. Um, let, me, let me maybe try and clarify that yeah, question because it was kind yeah. of articulated uh, not that well. Like, yeah. just writing it down, it's kind of sure. I'm kind of more asking about the sort of way that you think about it, the cognitive. Sure. Of it. Like, are you thinking of it in terms of whatever, the way that I would see a recipe in like a Martha Stewart cookbook, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. do you think of- Ah, uh, I understand. Like, I understand. The, you know, I know how to make a bisque. This is like done in like yeah. this temperature with like- Yeah, 
So I have, there's a really old cookbook. I'm actually going to get it. Hang on for one second. Okay, no problem. All right. So this is the deluxe edition of it, but it's super old. Are you familiar with this yeah. book? Uh, no. So it's super old. Uh, it's called Le, Le Repertoire de la Cuisine. Um, and it was literally something where, oh, shoot, I have a bunch of autograph stuff in here. That's crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Jacques Pepin did a thing on it. But this is, like, super old school luxe edition. It has, like, little um, tab things for letters. And what this would essentially function as is a resource for for like line cooks like you would mm -hmm. keep this on your station or if you were a sous chef and you needed a recipe you would go through and, and find it in here but the beauty the beauty of this dish uh, or of this book is that there's no like direct recipes in it and i don't know if i'm going to be able to show you on the thing here but it's it's essentially like a it's it's a list. It's not even. So I'm gonna show you. I don't know if it's gonna actually. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, back. It. It's back. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's backwards. So what I'm trying to refer to here is. Oh, it's mirror for you, but not yeah. For me. Okay. Perfect. Fine, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So it's this recipe for beans, but it's uh. So it's Haricover, but American is is the recipe for it and literally the list the thing that it has written down is cooked with a piece of bacon cut in dice mixed together with tomato sauce yeah so so much of this and like old school french cooking was not about recipes it was mm -hmm. about like i need you like i would go to you and you could bounce from kitchen to kitchen to kitchen and there was that's why these classic quote-unquote classic dishes became a thing um, because y you know that if you go to into a kitchen and someone asks you to create Herico Blanc's American, you need to know that it means cook with bacon, cut with dice, mixed together with tomato sauce. Mm -hmm. And that's very much so what I think about with recipes. Once you understand the, those principles, you don't need, you will look at a recipe Again, for that first time, that's going to take twice as long, probably the second time and maybe the third time. After that point, you know, if you guys have dishes that you've made multiple times, you probably know this. If I show you, so I think about like um, a recipe that I've made a bunch of times that has a couple ingredients that I couldn't list off to you right now. But if you gave me the method, I could probably make it. Right. Um those are that's that's ideally the point you want to be at and that's how i try to write like write my recipes and mm -hmm. so uh the like shared google recipe drive folder that i created that i've been supremely slacking on is very much based on that where it's like there's a box that has the ingredients and the amounts and then there's a second section that's 100 percent method mm -hmm. and that's how i kind of look at recipes where it's like mm -hmm. You could give me all of the quantities, and if you have everything measured out for me, then the other portion is is the method, and it's not, um, it's really not that in depth with the method because once you do it the first time, um, it should be kind of like self explanatory from that from that point, and I should be able, like, I should be able to say, um, whisk egg whites until fluffy. And you kind of like, you know what you're going for. Me and my, my friend, uh, he has this joke where, you know, if you add cornstarch to something, you cook it until it goes blop, blop, blop. 
(laughs) Like when you thicken something and it gets to that point. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I I don't, I don't have like a, I'm not romantic to a certain aesthetic of a recipe. Uh, But those principles of like, you have this recipe, you have the recipe method and then everything that goes into the recipe. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the two those are the and two. Then, and then I imagine like if there's like a twist on like the regular method, like yep. that's the thing that maybe you'd you'd note down either mentally or something. Sure, sure. But I also think that that's like where the magic is and that's one wow. of the reasons why like you can't go into a kitchen and ask someone to make a hollandaise anymore because there's six different ways to make a hollandaise. I went to the restaurant in Norway and there was this big French guy who was like a sous chef at a three-star in Paris and he was showing me how to make like I started making hollandaise in a double boiler and he's like, why are you doing that? And I'd never seen that before. Like yeah. you, you like traditionally you can't make hollandaise just on the stove, but he did right. it and it was great. And that's how he did. Like, does it go in an ISI gun now? Like, do right. you foam it up? Like, I don't know. There's just so many. Um, I think it's th- th- this era is, is gone this era of, uh-huh. you know, like, but, but um, you can use these principles of like, um, we're going to do the dehydrated beet thing um, and it can carry over. Is it kind of sad? Yes, but I mean, it, it is, it is what it is. I'm not, that's, that's a rant for another interview. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's something super powerful about that way of thinking though. I mean, even if it's not like the, uh, whatever that is like thousand mm-hmm. classical methods that like everybody knows exactly. There's a powerful, powerful way of thinking of like, once you, understand what a certain sort of high level thing is mm-hmm. um, if you can sort of pop up from that then the, basically like the stuff that you can fit in your head is much is much more like in in, in computer science education there's a technique called a uh, sub goal labeling it's basically like it turns out that it's pretty intuitive but like if i try to explain a process to you um or if you're trying to remember how something works or whatever if when i'm if when when we're explaining it if we just sort of label the high level goals then it's much easier to remember and much easier to understand. Totally. It sounds like a, a really similar thing where like kind of once I, once I, once I get that, like, you know, this is what it means to make a hollandaise, whatever it right, is, with right. this particular technique, then I can sort of, I don't need to keep all the sort of steps in my head. I can just think of like, that's one the big, thing. yeah. The bigger you know, blocks. You know? mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Do you end up posting any of this? Um, you don't have to keep this out, but it's yeah, still at the level I'll, of like I'll... a stupid idea. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, and I don't, I don't quite know if I'm thinking about this in terms of like, you know, some sort of like a product or a research, uh, mm-hmm. uh, thing or anything like right now it's still in a hypothesis. My, my hypothesis is something like there's, um, if we want to basically distill, you know, uh, you've been doing this for what, 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. 10 years, almost 10 years, 10, yeah. 10, 10 years of expertise mm-hmm. and try to bring that, some of that expertise to, um, uh, to sort of lay people, uh, then uh, I think some of it has to be in sort of how we express um, uh, kind of what the steps are. So to be concrete here, like if you go and look at like how I would write down a recipe or if uh, you go to a cookbook or, or some recipe online or something, um, it's kind of written for, uh, has like, I think a bunch of issues with it. One is that it does this sort of, it goes up and down levels. Like on the one hand, it's telling you all these micro steps. On the other hand, it'll say some big thing, but like also this small thing on the side that sure. ends up pulling into some, some other big thing. The other is that it really is sort of tailored for 
this is something that you can make independently just as is. Um, and it's going to take you an hour or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not, uh, it's not suited very well for sort of combining with a bunch of other stuff. Um, and there's a really nice correspondence to me with, uh, with basically, a uh, in computer science with like parallel with, co with concurrent computing. If I, I can like express like a program to you as like a sequential set of steps and that's great. A program, a computer can execute it, but if, you know, you want to run like Photoshop and whatever Chrome on your computer at the same time, like it's a lot nicer for the computer if you can sort of express what pieces can be, need to be run as units and like what dependencies they have between each other. And sure. So forth. Sure. Um, so in some sense, thinking about like a language sort of for, for, um, for uh, for cooking that would help both uh, me as uh, as a as someone who doesn't have the expertise mm -hmm. to sort of um, uh, think about all those things and sort of keep all those things in my in my head uh, of how how to write that down in a way that'll be easier for me to then right um, sort of pull out and then also uh, you know maybe some sort of system to actually help uh, combine things. When I say system, I mean like a computer program, but I think totally. it's actually, it doesn't necessarily have to be a computer program. It could just be a kind of a methodology. It's just that like once you have a methodology and a language, like you may as well. Correct. Um, so this is all for human application? Oh, for yeah. The most part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. not going to be like some robot that cooks for you. Robots? I don't know, man. I, I've <laughs> seen a lot of those demos, and that's definitely going to be a little bit of the future. Like it's yeah. not going to be like... It's not going to completely eliminate us all, but it's it's going to have some sort of yeah factor. Well, well that's just another it's just another tool. That you yeah, can, that's that's true. Don't have. That's true. That's true. Um, okay, so let me try to unpack that a little bit because that is. So I I I personally feel like there is a very very small sub niche of people that think like you and think like that want that want that and this is so this is me like helicoptering up and trying to see the whole picture where it's like you're frustrated with the product that comes from a cookbook and i don't think that it's it's written for the lady who lives in her house and cooks for her two kids and doesn't really care about if if efficient effectiveness mm -hmm. she cares about just tell me what to so my mom my girlfriend's mom posted a photo of zucchini blossoms and my mom was like, um, she tagged me in it and she, she, she said, Justin, how do I, how do I cook these? And I gave like some super straightforward description. I was like, you should grill them and serve them with prawns or something like that. And my mom texted me after seeing that, what I responded to my girlfriend's mom. And she was like, that's all you're going to say. Like, you're not going to give her, like, a big rundown of, like, this is a recipe and whatever, whatever, whatever. And I responded, no, because she doesn't want to hear that. She just wants to hear what goes with what and, and, and how to do it. And ch chances are she's probably not going to do it anyways. She mm -hmm. probably just wants someone to do it for her. Mm -hmm. And what does my girlfriend's mom comment right after that? She's like, that sounds kind of complicated. I'd rather just have you cook it for me. <laughs> So you have to keep in mind that like when they're sitting in these meetings, these publishers and these chefs, they they're they're told the chefs are told 
we have to make this a little bit more accessible. We have to dumb right. this down a little bit. We can't, you know, these people are cooking in their homes. They're not cooking in restaurants. Sure. So we can't make this into what you would ideally like it to be. So I think it definitely gets twisted and that's what's causing a lot of your frustration with like the way that things are laid out. And I do think that there's a better way to do it and lay out. Um, I mean, I think about like Tim Ferriss's four hour chef. The first recipe he has in it is like m scallops with mango salsa and something, something, something where it literally incorporates heat control, knife skills and sauce making in the first recipe that he teaches you. Whereas 99.9% .9 of other cookbooks have you start with making stock which right. teaches you nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Making stock doesn't teach you. It teaches you actually like very high level things that are like way beyond what you need to be like. I mean, it would be like teaching you how to like tweak something in a program before like, yep. you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, to kind of equate it to what you do. But yeah, it's, totally. it's um, creating that language is going to be the hardest part and time like there there i have a friend who says people always have to have something to hang their hat on like you have mm -hmm. to figure out how is how is it going to have you have you done like a blue apron meal start to finish yeah it's exactly the thing that i hate okay so yeah. tell me a little bit about that because i've never done it but they're the ones that i see that are like doing yeah. something with this is, it that, that's, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's mm -hmm. kind of exactly to me the sort of um, yeah, we totally did blue apron for mm -hmm. like a, a month or something. And I have a ton of friends in, in New York that do it occasionally. Um, uh, I mean, I hate it because it like takes, to me, it takes all of the, uh, all of the, not all, a lot of the satisfaction of the cook out of, out of cooking. Mm -hmm. And it's just, just kind of model, like, I know I'm eating the same thing that everybody else is eating this week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, basically you get a, you get a box with uh, with sort of uh, portioned out packaged uh, sort of produce and spices and stuff and a nice sort of printed out card that has um, uh, that has uh, you know kind of the the recipe tailored for that particular portion um, uh, you know cut the onion this way like you know heat the pan up this long or whatever and then like at the end you get a you get a dish mm -hmm. um, it's still it's a it's to me it's like a it's sort of a commoditized version of cooking. Sure. Where um, you get to say that you you get to say that you cooked. It's sort of this experience. Like I think we certainly did it this way, and I think this tends to be I think this tends to be how people do it, which is like, oh, like let's do a blue apron tonight as like an experience. Got it. Got it. Um, it doesn't really solve the like home cooking problem, um, and it's uh, uh, it is. I mean, it's sort of it's sort of making you uh, kind of like just the line cook. Uh, not that obviously like the line cook role is very valuable, but mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that part of the joy of cooking, especially, especially kind of at home as opposed to professionally, is like you kind of get to be all the things. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the, I, I think that's, that's, that's my experience. Like I, mm -hmm. I really, I really disliked it. Sure. Um, like you have, have no, you go ahead. Well, I was going to ask the, the, there was one other system that I've seen. It's like a, um, smart induction cooktop. What is it called? Sorry, you cut out. It's Heston. Uh, so it's called Heston Q H E S T A N Q C U E is the name of it. It's a smart induction cooktop. Um, that is the closest thing I've seen to, you know, if you, it's controlled through your smartphone, 
it it basically makes it so that you can't burn anything because mm. all it's doing is twisting the knob on the induction burner for you relatively mm. speaking um where it controls the heat and it says okay three minutes has elapsed since the shallots were in the oil now you can add the tomato right. that you chopped you know what i mean yeah. that you um and the cool thing about that is that you can mix and match but that's more so blue apron solved the portioning and flavor or like going through your cabinet and what spices do i use and whatever heston solved the i burn food every single time that i cook problem you know what i right. mean it's more so, like a kind of sort of more of a lack of skills correct correct yeah. so with both of those together I feel like there could actually be, and you know, then you have like sous vide, which is also like, I don't have time. Um, right. All of that, all of that is, 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 you know, comes together to solve these kind of like big macro problems um, in, in cooking at home. Where my head goes is like, what if you did like, there was a red and a blue and a green and the red was all protein so you had you know like beef short rib and pork belly and chicken thigh and those were like three and then on the next one there was blue which is like uh salted cabbage with cumin and tomato with paprika and something 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 and the last one was like um fusilli pasta and couscous and non bread and you could ideally make all of these they all would go together it's like a it's like um it's like when uh banana republic comes out with their summer line they try to make it so that you can wear any t-shirt in the store with any pair of pants in the store and it's probably going to look good right like how do you do something like that with 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 recipes for like a season where you release you know you release and each one has its own. And when you click in, like you import, you import the the beef short rib into a timeline, and the timeline has those little individual blocks. Yes, and then you exactly. import the tomato with cumin, and you import the couscous, and it's like okay. I'm having beef short rib with couscous and tomato. And each recipe has like okay, starting from zero. What does this look like? Yeah, that could be that could be an interesting like yeah, way to that's, think about that's it. A, that's that's a, I think that's exactly kind of getting at the kind mm -hmm. of at mm -hmm. the kind of vision of like I yeah. uh, is exactly I think the expertise that you sure that you that you have is uh, that I definitely don't mm -hmm. and I think most other people don't mm -hmm. is exactly the like um, uh, all right if I want to like add like take this element and this other element and right this other right element. That you know, maybe I know how to cook them individually, but like maybe I'm operating from from mm -hmm. like a, mm -hmm. a recipe from my mom or something, mm -hmm. uh, or online or whatever it is. Uh, how do those fit together, and sort of how do I how do I end up planning out uh, it in such a way that I'm not either you know not able to cook it in like the hour that I have after work or mm -hmm. the three hours mm -hmm. that I have on Sunday, sure, or that I'm constantly like running between stuff and oh shit I forgot to do this and like oh my like correct you know. Well, after thing. after enough time of like, whether it's machine learning or trial and error or whatever, it could get to a point where, you know, you could mix and match all these recipes, <clears throat> all these components to a recipe with like components to a dish or a dinner, I guess, would be the final product with right. recipes of individual dishes. Yep. 
you could essentially like print out a or you know pull it up on your phone of like a timeline of like this is what your 90 minutes is going to look like and exactly. you're essentially like creating your own blue apron experience that's exactly yeah. exactly right totally. and like that fits into of course also maybe a grocery list mm -hmm. uh yep. or the prep list yes that's correct 100 percent exactly okay. that i mean to me exactly blue apron is in, in parlance of like computer systems, like an application Correct. of this kind of system, or like whatever, mm -hmm. Blue Apron also throws in the supply chain mm -hmm. issue of like I guess having to go to the grocery store or market otherwise. Sure, sure. No, but, I yeah. mean it's totally it's totally a thing that is necessary and would help a lot of people, and is super necessary because, and I mean talking super super macro, our parents were the first generation that had smart appliances in their house. Yeah. And where production got to a point where they could not cook anymore. And so many of them took advantage of it. I mean, my yeah. mom doesn't cook at all. Really? Um, and so, I mean, that's where it got lost. It got lost on our parents' generation. So we never grew up cooking. And now all of us are going into the real world and we're lost. Because yeah. we love food, but there's no, there's nothing. You know what I mean? There's I no. Exactly. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> The flip side is that we were also maybe one of the first generations, at least it was like this for me and my family that have exposure to a lot more kinds of food. Like, like I said, my mom has cooked the same dishes for 30 years and she's happy with mm -hmm. that. Like she doesn't like going to get Thai food because she doesn't like Thai sure, food. Sure. Um, but our generation is like not satisfied with, uh, with like just eating spaghetti bolognese. Yep. Yeah. Uh, every week that's so funny you say that i haven't even thought of it like that um where yeah the accessibility is a total factor it's crazy yeah. um yeah man that's that's really exciting that you're thinking about that yeah of course the hard part is like actually figuring out how to write recipes down like that like yeah well i <laughs> but, mean you again you have to take yourself out of that martha stewart cookbook mentality and yeah. like think totally. way down to basics of like you know what is it that is actually happening here and how does this translate into you know like how you're going to format this right. um are you are you working solo on this are you is it like a personal passion project is it through a company uh, it's, or it's no no, no. It's, it's right now it's a personal passion project mm -hmm. um i uh i'm i'm when classes start up in the fall i'm gonna decide whether it's gonna be uh a research project and I'll like uh, rope some PhD student who's super into cooking too, mm -hmm. and like we'll mm -hmm. we'll write some like programming languages papers or something. And sure. Then, or um, or I or I'm, I or I might try and spin it off if I can get to a point where it seems it seems uh, or it seems if it seems feasible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, this is it, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, for now, it's just like something that I'm obsessed with that I talk to everyone about. Uh, and, I think uh, your yeah. biggest your biggest hurdle is going to be overcoming the dumbing it down part, right? Because everybody like there's going to be so many people that are going to tell you it needs to be easier, it needs to be easier, it needs yeah. to be easier. Yeah. And I mean, to you can get to that point, I think. But I think where you're at right now and where your head's at now, it needs to be for people that are where you're at. You need totally. to scratch your own itch first, and then, and then it can get to a point where I mean, like. To, as cliche as it sounds like Facebook started as a college thing and then it, and then they added features that were appealing to your mom totally. you know what I mean like yep. it has to scratch your itch first and then totally. and then it yeah um I think that's that's the biggest thing I see because I mean blue apron could be awesome and badass but 
somewhere along the way, some lady sent a angry email that said this is too hard and this is complicated and make it easier for someone like me and they all sat around in a meeting and they were like we need to make this easier for karen in in kansas you know what i mean yeah. and then then it got to a point where it frustrated people like you so i feel like right. if, if i could offer any advice from any everybody that i've seen that's trying to to make food do food related projects it's to you know, just stick to your guns on it because you, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. know, you know, the product that you would sign up for. Um, totally. And I think stick stick to that because there's more people out there than you would think uh, that, totally. that are interested in it. I, I look at um, I mean, I didn't think that uh, cooking on the Internet was going to be possible. And then um, binging with Babish came along and there's people that cook with him on Twitch every single week. You know, yeah. so there's there, there's definitely an audience for it. And I like that you're thinking about software as opposed to the, the, the other thing I was going to ask you. Have you seen or tried any of the masterclass courses, whether it's Gordon's or Thomas Keller's? I've been seeing those ads or whatever. Yeah. Not yet. yeah, I haven't I haven't tried it myself, but um, I'd be curious to see how they lay out the education like what does making anulodi with thomas keller look like in a masterclass course yeah um that's actually a good idea because i've been thinking of now that i'm getting into it even more like it would be it'd be uh great to just uh, just for the joy of it to like take a um, sure. um, to take a class at like culinary school or something mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you know I, i'm not gonna find time for that but like a master class yep 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 um do you have you ever done do you, have you ever worked in a restaurant or done any sort of restaurant anything? No, the thing that got us on this cake is my partner used to work at Quince in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, not as a coach. She mm -hmm. was front house. Sure. Um, but I no, I've never like I did like some some catering in high school. Mm -hmm. Like I would kind of help out with a friend of a friend sort of sure. thing. But no, no, no. I, I never worked in the. Business. That that's another thing I would advise you to do is to go do a stage somewhere. And I can yeah. totally help that happen where it doesn't feel like you're going to, you know, get your head bitten off when you go into like, I'm totally happy to connect you with, you know, any one of my friends that has restaurants that would totally love to have you just even if it's just observing for a day. Yeah, I was wondering about that, actually, because I've been thinking that would be a super uh, for me because I'm so interested, super cool thing to do. But what's the mm -hmm. level of expertise that they expect? Like I didn't go to not, not at all. So that's 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 exactly how I would pitch it is like an observational thing. And you give a very similar intro to how you introed me. Um, I'm friends with the chef de cuisine at per se right now. And that would be super cool to go just see. And I give that intro of like, this is what I'm working on. And I just want to hang out on Entremet station. So that's the guy who does all the garnish for the meat station. Mm -hmm. Um it's the busiest station. There's so much going on because not only are they doing all of the garnish for first meat, second meat and Wagyu on the tasting menu, mm -hmm. but also like 60% of the vegetable tasting menu comes off of that station. And so it's like, it's madness multitasking, mm -hmm. um, not just during prep, but also during uh, the service. Oh, amazing. That and, would actually be super cool. A value for you get from that. Um, or even, my friend is working at a restaurant called Contra, uh, which is also a really, really good restaurant. But um, that's like a small kitchen. And I think there's also a value to be gained from from that, where it's like you have your station and you have six or seven dishes coming off your station. How do you navigate that? Mm -hmm. um, because even if it's not like direct takeaways, I think that there's value in you 
Oh, I totally, I totally think so. I think it's exactly, yeah. exactly the kinds of observations that I that I mm -hmm. want to get. It's like how do how do people who kind of do this for a living how do they how do they operate right. and how do they think about approaching this? Right. And yeah. so, I mean, if you if you send those emails, I would I would encourage you to say talk about it as an observational mm -hmm. stage, mm -hmm. I guess, where it's like I don't really need to cook. I just want to like come in and watch a little bit of prep and a little bit of service. Cool. Um, and if any of those restaurants speak to you or if you have any that you're, you know, that are really like, I would really love to spend a couple of days here, um, email me and we'll figure out a way to make that happen. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. Okay, yeah, thank totally. you. Thank you so totally. much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, yeah, keep me posted on this project because it's, uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm I've been super stoked on your on your channel and your other stuff. I'm just like I can't tell you. It's like so um, so cool to see someone uh, talking about the stuff that you're talking about and sharing yeah. it. That's uh, when yeah. I uh, when I come visit Seattle. Let me take you out to to drinks or dinner or something. Please, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. And I have two very near and dear friends who just moved to New York from. They were living in Sonoma forever, and they just moved to New York, and I. One of two things is going to happen. I'm going to go to Japan in October, or I'm going to go to New York in October. So yeah. it's kind of dependent on if my dad is able to travel with me or not. Um, so yeah, if one if one or the other happens, please, yeah, please. let me let me let me let me know. Hit me up if you're. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, totally. Okay, okay. cool, Great. man. Thank you so much, Justin. Of course, my pleasure. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Hey, hey, present day Justin here. I'm normally super keen on sharing my own takeaways from something like this, but I feel like I did enough talking in that interview, so I want to hear from you. What were your biggest takeaways from this interview? Tweet at me and hashtag the emulsion because I would love to show Amit some love as well. All of his stuff is linked up down below as well as in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Emulsion Podcast. I appreciate your ears more than you know. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com slash justincana. Other ways you can help out right now include giving this show a review on iTunes so more people can find it. I also love seeing you folks liking and commenting on the video if you listen that way, or even just share this episode with a friend. Now is normally why I would tell you that my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one, but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to, so I'm just going to get out of the out of the way here excuse excuse me